0: What is it that makes us, as humans, different, even, shall I say, better than monkeys? Well, maybe not much these days, but we do have a few things going for us as a species. I like to believe it's the arts and sciences that make us better in many ways than our pesky primate cousins. Hello, everybody. I'm Brian Hanna. Thanks for joining me for this episode of Better Than Monkeys. So have you ever been walking down a dark, deserted road at night and had the eerie feeling that somebody or something was watching you? Have you ever looked up into the night sky and seen something that just looked a little out of place? Well, our guest on this episode of Better Than Monkeys has spent practically his whole life researching Bigfoot, Sasquatch, UFOs, Mothman... Our guest today is author, TV and radio personality and researcher, Stan Gordon. I hope you enjoy this episode of Better Than Monkeys as much as I did. In December of 1965, residents of six states and Canada reported a fireball flying through the skies. That fireball came to rest in the woods just outside the small southwestern town of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania. Some astronomers believe it was just a meteor burning up in our atmosphere. NASA released a report in 2005 claiming that they had studied debris from the crash and determined it to be from a Russian satellite that also burnt up in our atmosphere. Many people seem to believe that this was a piece of alien technology that crashed in the woods outside of Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, including our guest today here on Better Than Monkeys. He was there in 1965 to begin researching this event, and it's led to an entire career. He is now an author of many books. He has appeared on television and radio. This young man was none other than Stan Gordon, and he is joining us by phone here in the WQLN studios today. Hi, Stan. Thanks for joining us. Uh, I
1: appreciate you having me on the program.
0: So, uh, Stan Gordon, why don't we start right at the very beginning? Uh, you jumped onto the scene with an incident that the world knows as the Kexburg incident. Do you want to tell us a little bit? We'll start with that, since that's how you made your foray into the world of paranormal activity.
1: Well, yes. Actually, I began even earlier than that. That was 1965. I started this when I was 10 years old in 1959. And so this year, Mark, uh, 60 years of research, and surprising to your listeners In all the years I've been doing this, I have never personally seen a UFO or Bigfoot myself. I've interviewed thousands of witnesses. I've seen a lot of evidence, but I've never had my own personal encounter. But I was 16 years old in December of 1965 when the Kecksburg incident happened. And uh, how I got involved in it, of course, I was already interested in the UFO subject. This happened uh, in a community about 12 miles from my hometown of Greensburg, Pennsylvania, in West Warren County, about 40 miles southeast of Pittsburgh. And it was breaking on the news around Pittsburgh that evening. It was a brilliant fireball that was observed from the tip of Ontario, Canada, over Michigan, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. And I began documenting the information that was coming across the news that night. It was a very intriguing evening. It was a major news story all across the Pittsburgh area. They were even breaking into live uh, local news about it. And what was very interesting was, as reports continued to come in, it suggested that whatever the object was, it reportedly fell in a wooded ravine near that little small farming community of Kecksburg, PA, and that the military was arriving on the scene to investigate. It was truly an interesting night for me, running back and forth between the TV and the radio, trying to get the latest reports. I wasn't even driving yet. I had no way to get out there. The next day, it's the major headlines on all the local papers that made national news. I've, again, I began to document it, and over a period of many weeks and months and years and now it's going on 54 years of research i'm still getting some bits and pieces of information on the case but just then capitalize the the incident people see this brilliant fireball coming across the sky i later talked to multitudes of witnesses saw the object come in from the pittsburgh area came over the city of greensburg the object made a turn to the south it was seen by people in all these little farming communities out in the country going out to the mountains of Laurelville. It reportedly kind of hesitated and turned, came back towards Kecksburg, made another turn, then dropped down slowly into the wooded Ravine. And I found out later, and I interviewed some of these people, that some of the locals who saw the object come down ran down into the woods and came across this large metallic acorn-shaped object semi buried in the ground. Now this object is shaped like a big metallic acorn, no weld marks, no seams, no rivet marks, but on the raised up back part of the object were what appeared to be unusual symbols raised off the surface. And um, so what I found out, first we had local people come in, then we had volunteer firemen coming in because they were getting reports of a possible downed aircraft, so they were looking for a downed aircraft and apparently came across the object. Then the military came in and the area was cordoned off And make the story short, because there were multitudes of events of people who were on the scene that night, including many reporters who encountered the military or saw military vehicles. The object, I later learned, was removed on a large military flatbed tractor-trailer truck taken to Lockbourne Air Force Base near Columbus, Ohio. The truck and the object were back into a hangar where a a very um, secure area was set up with a security team. And uh, it stayed there temporarily. Then we continued on to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base or Dayton, Ohio. Where the object is today, we don't know. But it, it's a most interesting story. There are so many accounts from hundreds of people I interviewed. And still today, there's a lot of theories, a lot of conjectures of what the object was that fell in 1965.
0: Well, you know, there's also stories of perhaps a creature that's associated with this particular incident. Are those two events connected?
1: Well, again, it's a very, very long story. Initially, there's never there's all been rumors for years of uh, people allegedly that saw a couple bodies at the same, but we've never been able to confirm that story. But in the last 20-some years, some interesting other details came out as as more and more information was being sought as we, we got some more details from different people. And, you know, even today, the majority of people I interviewed are people who have never gone public. Because you got to remember, in 1965, a lot of the witnesses were young children, teenagers. Well, as time went on, they grew up to be educators and, and scientists and engineers and, and very reputable people. So for various reasons, they did not want the user names out there. But I interviewed the people and got statements from them. And um, I, I produced a documentary back years ago, and it was called Ke- it's called Kecksburg, the Untold Story. It's still available out there. And um, interviewed many, many really good detailed witnesses. So in that in that particular uh, documentary, I, I get the one fellow, uh, we'll call him Myron. Myron now is not deceased, as so many, unfortunately, many of those witnesses are from that time period. I interviewed him for the documentary, and I had first come in contact with Myron after we did the Unsolved Mystery season premiere back in 1990. And when that show premiered on that case... Many, many people around the country contacted me, and Myron was one of those people, and he said to me, he said, well, I guess I'm allowed to talk about it now because it's on TV. And I said, well, what are you talking about, Myron? He said, well, he said, I worked for a large supply house in Ohio at the time, and a military officer came into our office and ordered a a large supply of this special type of glazed engineering brick to be shipped to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. That's probably maybe two or three days after the incident happened in Pennsylvania, and again, I'm trying to make this brief because there's so many details. Anyhow, what I found out was another truck driver had taken the first shipment of this brick to Wright-Patterson. The next day, he and Myron took the sep- second shipment there. The day before, when the first trucker was there, the flatbed trailer was there with the object with the tarp over it sitting outside this warehouse building. The next day, when Myron and the other truck driver returned with more brick, just the trailer was there with just a tarp over top of the trailer the object wasn't there at that point, but as they're doing their job unloading the bricks, Myron's watching these fellows in white coveralls with sidearms, and these guys are periodically changing their outer clothing, and he was curious as to what they were doing, and apparently at some point he snuck into the entrance, and he saw this scaffolding going up to this large, metallic, kind of an off-gold, acorn-shaped object with his unusual markings on it, which was what was described on the ground in, in Pennsylvania, and um, got a pretty good look at this thing until he was discovered. Anyhow, for years and years, he never told me this story until we were about to do this documentary. And when I met him, he was in bad health at the time, and he said he talked to his son, I believe, the night before and said he was gonna tell me the rest of the story because he wanted to make sure we knew about it. And what he said was that when he was inside that building, it wasn't lit up very well, but there was also a workbench And on that workbench was a small, short body, covered over with a white sheet, and all he could see was, I believe it was a left arm hanging down, and all he could see were three digits, three fingers, and he said the skin looked lizard-like. But that's all the detail he could give me. Then, quite some time later, another independent witness from this area who knew nothing about that other situation, I was able to contact him. I had heard rumors this fella had been hiding down in the woods at the time of the military uh, being down there recovering the object. And he was hiding down there and was watching some of the recovery operation. And, and again, just to make the story short, he said he was seeing uh, people coming in, what appeared to be volunteer firemen, Then military came in there was a man in a dark suit that seemed to be giving the military the orders and he said at one point a high-ranking military officer jumped on top of the object he had a long metal almost like a like a police billy club but thinner and for whatever reason he struck the object and this guy started quivering i mean his voice started quivering as he's describing this to me and he's saying a short time later soon after that happened within seconds a hatch opened from right to left on the object and all he could see from his position, because he was hiding deep in the woods, and had to keep moving back because of the military moving closer. And he said all he could see was his long elastic arm that came um, up out of the hatch. And he said there had to be another arm to close the hatch, but he couldn't see it from his position. He could hear the metal on metal hitting, and um, the officer started yelling, "Hurry up! Hurry up! We don't have much time." Then he went into great detail as to how they were able to. Secure the object, had to winch it over to the flatbed truck and lift it up on it and um, so that's kind of interesting too. so again, I keep up in mind all possibilities I mean these two fellas, for whatever reason I mean they weren't seeking any publicity, and they didn't know each other, and there's some other details we have that suggest the same possibility, so maybe there was someone or something inside of this thing and again. I keep an open mind to all possibilities, and I've said for years and years, there's a lot of data on this, but nobody knows for sure what this object was. Was it something very sophisticated, very secretive, and very advanced and man-made? Or could there have been a visitor from some some other planet? We just don't know. And um, there's a lot of interesting data on this case, but it continues to be uh, an unsolved uh, mystery.
0: Well, you know, that seems to be a, a common theme in a lot of unusual occurrences. There is a large collection of people of reputable stature in our society who see an event or witness an event, their evidence lines up, people's stories are corroborated, yet we can't seem to believe these people have seen or witnessed something really unique. So when it comes down to tax, we have science that is put into play in situations like this we have evidence that is gathered in situations like this yet why will can't we come to some kind of consensus that maybe strange things like this really are happening
1: well you know once again having been involved in this for most of my life I had teams of scientists and engineers and research people work with me for years and years in my volunteer groups from the 70s and uh, early 1990s and we saw a lot of evidence and, and I had quite a lot of very professional scientific people who came in very skeptically at first and joined me in the field to investigate the reports. And some of these fellows stayed with me for years and years. And they began to interview the people. They saw the evidence out in the field. They began to see the patterns. And they began to realize that there's something going on here. We just don't understand what it is. And I can tell you, the more cases I have, and there's been a lot of activity in Pennsylvania. Last year was a very, very busy with a lot of very strange both UFO and Bigfoot reports. I've worked on hundreds of cases in Pennsylvania of not just lights in the sky, but large structured craft low to the ground observed by very credible people. And um, there's something out there, but it may well be that what we're dealing with right now is far beyond our present scientific understanding. We're just beginning to scratch the surface of different areas of science, and it may be something we just don't understand yet. It's an amazing phenomena. Many credible people report these sightings over the years. I mean, I've interviewed, just for an example, I've interviewed state troopers, um, municipal police officers, um, volunteer firemen, uh, military and commercial pilots, air traffic controllers. Very reputable people who have no reason to make these stories up and seek no publicity.
0: A couple of years back, I went to a Pennsylvania Bigfoot conference in Jeanette, Pennsylvania. And yes. there was an expert there, uh, very well known, I won't mention that name on the show, but uh, there was a gentleman there at the show. So after uh, there was a little pause in the presentations, uh, this gentleman was speaking with this expert in the field of cryptozoology. So uh, he wanted to talk to a Bigfoot expert. And he was standing there and we were just behind him. And he said, I just had a question about something I'd seen a couple of years back. And the expert said, of course, what was the situation? He said, I was driving down the street something really big stepped out of the woods. It crossed a double lane road in about two and a half, three steps and went down the other side. And it was just so massive. And I want to know what I saw. And the expert just kind of threw it out there says, wow, crossed the road in two or three steps. That sounds like you might've seen a Bigfoot. And he goes, no, it wasn't a Bigfoot. And the expert said, well, then what was it? And he goes, well, I don't know. That's what I'm here to ask you about. And he goes, well, a bear wouldn't have crossed the road on two feet. It would have probably run across on all four. And even if it was on two feet, bear have short legs. So uh, it probably couldn't have crossed the road in just two or three steps, even at a run. So I'm thinking you probably saw a Bigfoot. And the guy goes, no. (laughs) So uh, he'd obviously seen something that confused him. He saw something that made him uncomfortable. And he wanted an answer, but he didn't really want to know that answer. Is that a common theme among witnesses to unique events like this?
1: I, I can tell you this. I deal with people from all walks of life on a, on a continuous basis. Last year, we had a really amazing series of Bigfoot encounters, and some of these were daylight sightings, some at very close range. And over the years, I always find that the best witnesses are people who didn't believe that these type of phenomena could exist so they had their own personal encounter. And for many, many of these people, it's been a life-changing experience. I mean, I interviewed hunters, guys who spent 20, 30 years out in the woods and never saw a thing until they had that one day they had that encounter. I mean, some of these fellows just told me they, they would never go back in the woods again. They were that frightened by it, even though of the hundreds of cases I've worked on, these creatures, whatever they are, they seem to be very curious of human activity. On occasion, they'll throw, you know, large branches or even small boulders towards people. But there's hardly any cases I've ever seen documented where these things actually went after people and hurt them. They seem to be just very curious or or want people out of their territory, for example. But um, there's so many reports. And, you know, we had the biggest UFO Bigfoot outbreak in history occurred here in Pennsylvania in 1973 and early 1974, Back in those days, it was making a lot of local national news, and that's when I had my first research group, the Warren County UFO Study Group. And by 1973, we had extended to cover the state of Pennsylvania. And as these reports were occurring in many areas, we were getting uh, calls from many different places, from, from police departments, from news media, and we were following up on all these investigations. So my teams, in many cases, we were on the scene within minutes to hours after these incidents happened. So we were able to document, I mean, the human reaction, the physical evidence at the scene. Probably one of the most compelling bits of evidence were the animal reactions, because you couldn't fabricate that. And very commonly, even the most ferocious dogs, when they were close to these creatures, they were just, like, paralyzed in their movement. They wouldn't bark, they wouldn't move, they cowered, they shake. I mean, that was something very common, and it still continues uh, over the years in similar reports. That's something you just couldn't fabricate. And we uncovered some very, very strange incidents with Bigfoot, which are still being reported even the last year, which suggests to me, as reluctant as I am to say it, that there may be a lot more to the Bigfoot phenomena than just some type type of unknown animal species that we might be dealing with something much stranger.
0: Well, you know, there is plenty of evidence, and and it's not unique evidence. It seems to be evidence that comes up over and over again in sightings of these uh, creatures, uh, which are giant footprints, which are much bigger than a standard human footprint. But bear a lot of similarities in most cases. and there's plenty of evidence. And, uh, police officers, uh, state police officers, fire people, uh, they, they collect this evidence on a regular basis. So it's out there. Uh, those are some things that are really hard to fake.
1: Oh, there's no doubt. And, and again I had a, again, I had a lot of scientific people, including the anthropologists work on my team. And, yeah, there would be hoaxes at times. You could easily tell. Some of the other cases we had, and, and you've got to remember, again, the high percentage of reports come in here every year, all year round from Pennsylvania, including up in Erie, and all through this area we get reports of different things going on. Ninety-nine percent of the people reporting them want no publicity. They seek no publicity, so hardly anybody knows about these reports because they are very um, don't, don't want to have any publicity or be afraid of being ridiculed for various reasons. There's a lot more to this than meets the eye. And, like, why would you make up such an account? Because nobody's going to know about it anyhow. And, you know, one of the most famous incidents happened right there in your backyard. One of the first cases which suggested there might be a little more to... Maybe Bigfoot UFOs happened right there on July 31st, 1966 on Beach 6 at Presque Isle Beach, which is one of the better-known national UFO cases. It's one of the cases, in fact, that uh, the Air Force Project Blue Book officially investigated, and it's still listed as unexplained in their
0: uh, archives. It's wonderful to have a local connection to something like that. And, you know, uh, Kecksburg isn't that far from Erie. It's just down the road a little bit. So this is kind of a hotbed for uh, interesting activities.
1: Well, one of the most active areas in the country is down in my area, southwest PA, along what they call the Chestnut Ridge. And the Chestnut Ridge is a mountain range that runs from Westmoreland, Fayette, Indiana County, and southwest PA into Preston County, West Virginia, maybe about 100 miles long. Historically, one of the most active areas in the country for repeated Almost yearly reports of UFO sightings, bigfoot encounters encounters with other cryptids, other strange animals such as these huge huge giant birds or flying creatures people report in which for a better term we call thunderbirds and we 're talking incidents where sometimes these huge flying birds are on the ground, then they have their their wingspan out and i mean we 're talking a wingspan like a small aircraft. Uh, we get black panther reported sightings of of course black panthers you think that of an animal. Uh, given that name as being common to uh, Africa or Asia, not here in Pennsylvania and around the country, but people reported seeing Black Panthers for years. I had a report of a sighting up in your area, I believe two years ago, very close to Erie County, up in that general area. And there has been multitudes of, of sightings um, up around Erie. I, I investigated many for years. I don't have them right in front of me, but I can tell you from the 70s to at least the 90s, I had many incidents reported around uh, Lake Erie, up in Erie County. Uh, all around that surrounding area. I remember interviewing a number of witnesses, including a police officer who I, as I recall, just probably 20 some years ago, saw an object covering over the lake and enter into the lake. And um, these studies continue to be reported. In fact, there, there's some good researchers up there in the area, such as Fred and Kathy Lane from MUFON who investigated reports. And um, these reports are going on all the time you just don't hear about them.
0: Again, that's a common theme. When an incident happens like this, uh, we tend to hear of it referred to as a flap, where any number of people will come forward talking about the same incident from different viewpoints, uh, yet we seem to doubt that something's actually happening.
1: Well, I think that more and more, I mean, I I lecture on the subject uh, locally and nationally for years, and I come in contact with many, many people on a regular basis. Almost everywhere I go for these events, People come up to me, and a lot of them confidentially share the information. Some of them don't even want to talk right there when other people around. They call me later on, privately, because they want to share their experiences. And this goes on constantly. I mean, the, these people coming forward, I mean, I, I talk to first responders and police officers, and, I mean, just people who have no reason to make these stories up, but they just want answers to find out what it is that they encounter, because they just don't know.
0: Right, absolutely. They're just looking for answers. Another topic that we should cover while I've got you here is cause you've authored what seven books now at this point?
1: Well, I, I've written three of my own books. There's a lot of my material and many, many other books out there. That I've written uh, chapters for other people. Use my material. I've written. Oh my gosh! I've been writing articles since the late 1960s when I was a youngster. So I've probably written many hundreds of articles in all types of different formats uh, on all these various phenomena. So yeah, I've been doing this for a long time and you know, the the people out there really enjoy it. People love to find out uh, details about these ongoing reports. And um, my first book was called uh, Really Mysterious Pennsylvania. And it gets into all kinds of phenomena in Pennsylvania where people are physically very close to UFOs and Bigfoot and other creatures. The the book that's really interesting is, is, And my favorite book is called Solid Invasion, the Pennsylvania UFO Bigfoot Casebook. That's the book I wrote about the massive wave of 1973 and 74. And I I tried to write it in a manner in that it was almost like watching a movie because I was there as it was taking place. I was documenting and kept records of all these events. And it was just amazing the reports that were coming in and the details and the animal reactions, the human emotions, the, the evidence we found at the scene and some of the very, very strange correlation we found with UFOs and Bigfoot, in some cases where Bigfoot and UFO were seen together at the same time and place. And that's going on and continues to go on, not only in Pennsylvania, but around the country and around the world. And again, the more I know about the phenomenon, the much stranger it is. You know, for years and years, as the government was getting involved in the various UFO projects, and as more people in the public are talking about it, and the theory was that these things are extraterrestrial. Well, the more I know about the phenomenon, and I think there's many others out there as well. I- I've said years ago there's more than one origin to the unknown category of UFOs, and it may well be that maybe a small number of these could be extraterrestrial, possibly, but more and more of what I'm seeing, and, and this is what Bigfoot, too, and again, as reluctant as I am to say it, for lack of a better term, I think we're dealing with something from another reality, that these things might be interdimensional, that there's a physical and a non-physical component to the phenomena, which, for example, with Bigfoot, that's why there's no bodies. People see these things, see them in very close range, there's evidence at the scene, and then they're gone. There's never any bodies. Same with certain types of UFOs. Even in daylight, here's these large structured craft that suddenly appear out of nowhere, they physically change form, and they disappear. Now, sometimes we have physical traces on the ground. By the way, we've had my laboratories examine some of the materials from cases I worked on over the years, and there's some really interesting data out there. But, again, I think the more we know about the phenomenon – the more it appears to be something that is way beyond our present scientific understanding to deal with at this point.
0: The popularity of people wanting to know about these topics, these strange happenings, uh, I think it's much uh, more popular than we think. You know, for years there there was a great show with a a great overnight host, Art Bell. Uh, Coast to Coast AM now is doing the same thing, which is uh, talking about paranormal activity, UFOs, Bigfoot. That has a huge listenership and people tune in all the time to see the Ghost Hunters shows on television or they tune in to see mysterious shows on uh, the cable channels nowadays. If it wasn't so popular, uh, the TV shows wouldn't run with specials like that. So why are so many people reluctant to say, yeah, this is really an interesting topic? Are they afraid yeah, well, of ridicule? People,
1: well, people are more and more interested. There's no doubt about it. I've been on with George on the Coast to Coast uh, several times.
0: Yeah, George Nori.
1: Uh, there's a huge following. People love these programs. And every time I do those programs, I get a surge of more data in. More and more people contact me about incidents uh, in Pennsylvania and other areas as well. The public is asking for more and more information. In fact, uh, I'll be in a new documentary, documentary which I believe is airing, uh, or premiering later this week. It's called Paranormal Bigfoot, which I'm sure will be information on that. And um, Seth Breedlove from Small Town Monsters produced some amazing documentaries. Uh, is producing a six-part miniseries coming out later this year called On the Trail Bigfoot, which I will also be appearing in.
0: You do a lot of television shows, uh, radio interviews, uh, conventions. Uh, how, is this a full-time job for you?
1: No, I'm retired. I worked in electronics it all my life, but I did this all my life too, and uh, so I started this again in 1959 when I was 10 years old, and I've been doing it ever since, and um, but now I'm retired, got some young grandchildren, spent a lot of time with them, and I deal with these cases on a regular basis.
0: Now, if somebody in uh, our area, our listening area, any anybody who hears this podcast, it goes out worldwide on the web, if they had a sighting or an incident they'd just like to talk about, maybe it's something they've been even holding in for years, how would they get a hold of you?
1: Well, my website is Stan Gordon, G-O-R-D-O-N dot info, I-N-F-O, Stan Gordon dot info. My, my main me- email address is P-A-U-F-O at Comcast.net. There's also a phone number on the website they can reach me. They have to contact me directly, and all the books are available on Amazon.com as well.
0: If you are listening now and you just hop on the web, do a Google search for Stan Gordon. Lots of information pops up. Uh, all the information on the books on the uh, documentaries that he's participated in. You can get a hold of him uh, via the website or the email. There's so many wonderful things that we just don't know about in this world that are mysterious. They're finding new species every day. They're finding new biological entities that live in harsh and horrible circumstances. So uh, I know know as humans, we like to think we know it all, (laughs) but it turns out we know very little about our own world.
1: There's no doubt about it. And yes, if your listeners go to my website, what's on my website is just a A general idea of some of the reports I get. There's a lot of reports on there, some amazing cases going back several years. They can just scroll back through the past reports. I keep updating with current reports, as well as different events I'll be speaking at around the state and other areas. And I think you'll find a lot of fascinating information on the website.
0: And, you know, again, uh, one other point just to cover real quickly. Uh, You mentioned it before. This topic is interesting. UFOs, Bigfoot. Some people are afraid of things like this,
1: at so many of the events I attend, and I speak for you know, schools and colleges and, and children, and the children today love this. I mean, I started this when I was 10, and I, I've had young children much younger than that who just love this subject and love the Bigfoot subject. And there's such a fascination today, and more and more of people are more open-minded. They're trying to learn more about it. And, um, and I think that's the reason why there's such a great amount of media coverage right now because the people want more information out
0: there. Thank you so much for spreading a little bit of the information that we really need this information because there's so many wonderful things out there happening in our world, even right here in the Erie area, that, well, we'd just like people to know a little bit more about.
1: And if people see anything, uh, they can contact me and uh, there are some very good researchers up in your area.
0: Absolutely. Again, you go ahead and give out those uh, websites if you'd like to and a uh, contact information.
1: Yeah, it's stangordon.info, I-N-F-O, that's a website. Email is p-a-u-f-o at comcast.net. And then again, the, the books are all available on amazon.com or barnesandnoble.com.
0: They're great books. I've got a couple of those myself. Uh, Again, if you want more information, uh, just hunt Stand Down. It would be worth your time. Uh, There's some really great information out there on his website, too. Especially, there's some really interesting information about the Kecksburg incident still out there. If this piqued your interest, hopefully you'll take a look find out a little bit more about it. And if you've had an experience of any sort, uh, maybe contact Mr. Gordon and let him know. Maybe uh, he'll have some answers for you. We can only hope. Thank you very much for joining us here on WQLN's podcast, Better Than Monkeys. Stan Gordon, wonderful talking with you today.
1: Thanks, Brian, for having me on your program.
0: I hope you've enjoyed these creepy and spooky stories with our friend Stan Gordon. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Better Than Monkeys. And if you're enjoying Better Than Monkeys, well, you can find more episodes online at wqlnorg backslash btm. There's an interview with an astronomer, and an archaeologist, and musicians. It's a wonderful resource for the arts and sciences. So why not check it out? Again, it's at wqln.org backslash btm. I'm Brian Hanna. I'm glad you chose to spend part of your day with me here on Better Than Monkeys, and we'd love for you to join us again next month for another exciting edition. Have a great day, everybody. Better Than Monkeys is a production of WQLN Radio.